0: And we've been in this sermon series, the Big Five, we've been dealing with core value number one. And core value number one is simply that we are running to keep up with Jesus. That's it. And the idea that we are running to keep up with Jesus simply means this. That wherever Jesus goes, we are going with him. That we are never in a position where we say, you know what, we're going to sit this one out. We are going to step back, and and where Jesus is going is too uncomfortable for us. It, it, It breaks too many of the rules and the things that we've put in our head, and it puts us in too many awkward, uncomfortable situations. And so we're just going to sit this one out. It doesn't work if we're running to keep up with Jesus. And look, David said it last week. Pastor David said, this is a foundational value. What he meant when he said foundational value is this If you are not going to commit to running to keep up with Jesus Then all of the other values that the church has will be meaningless for you Because if you are not willing to run to keep up with Jesus Then none of it matters But when we understand this foundational value and we say we're going to run to keep up with Jesus Then you know what we understand that this is by and large not about us It's about the mission. And the mission matters. And we say it all the time, but I'm going to say it again, and you're going to hear it repeatedly. The mission matters because hell is real, and people we love are going there. But they don't have to. There's an answer. All right, and so we're going to keep dealing with this today. We're going to keep digging in. And and when I say that we're running to keep up with Jesus— a lot of you are like, "Well, I, I maybe I don't want to, but I will if I have to." And the problem with "I will if I have to," right is, is that it, it kind of betrays this attitude of "I don't like it." And I want to challenge you a little bit today as we get going as we start to look at we're going to look at Paul and we're going to look at, at some things that he tells us in First Corinthians about the mission and about Running to keep up with Jesus and what that means for him personally and honestly what it means for us as a church Right, but but the problem with the I don't want to attitude Is that basically what it says is I'm not sure jesus knows what he's doing When you think about that for a second what it basically says is i'm not sure jesus really knows what he's doing. I, I know he's going. I see that happening. I don't really want to go there. I'm not sure he knows what he's doing. And it's really difficult, because here's why. Running to keep up with Jesus means this, and I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to say it again, because I really need you to know it. You could write it down if you're taking notes, whatever. But, but running to keep up with Jesus, listen, it means embracing change for the sake of the mission. And when I say embracing change for the sake of the mission, listen, listen, listen. I mean not tolerating change for the sake of the mission. Not deciding that you'll put up with change for the sake of the mission. I mean embracing. I choose my words carefully. I mean embracing change for the sake of the mission. Running to keep up with Jesus means that you will embrace doing something that Jesus calls you to do, even if you don't want to do it. You will not only embrace it, you'll champion it. Why? Because that's where Jesus is going, and he knows better than you do. He knows better than we do. He is the God of the universe. And, and, and the problem, though, is we hate change. No, that's not true. Nobody will admit that they hate change. Everybody's okay with change until it affects you, and then you don't like change. I, 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 I love change until all of a sudden I have to do something I didn't want to do, and then I hate it. Right? When I was in seminary, I had a professor tell us that there were um, two kinds of people in churches. You've probably heard this before. Two kinds of people in every church. The kind that hate things the way they are, and the kind that hate change. And so that was, that was his, his um, parting words for us in, in pastoral leadership. Um, you know, like, like, I don't know, like, supposed to be encouraging? I don't know, but we're getting ready to be done, and we're on Skype, and, and we're doing the, this class. And he's like, okay, well, here's the last thing you need to know about pastoral leadership. Everybody will hate the way it is, and everybody will hate you if you try to change it. It's like, Awesome. It was a lot of money and a lot of weeks well spent. Could have just started there. But this is the issue. When we're running to keep up with Jesus, we change. And, and here's, here's something I want to challenge you with before we get to, to the text with Paul. is simply this. Because I think the way that we handle when things change, I think a lot of it betrays what we think about this life that we live. And, and how we view this life to live. If we view our life as something to survive— then change will scare us, and we'll retreat, and and it'll slow us down, and, and it'll throw us for a loop, because we're just looking to survive from one day to the next. But if you're looking at this life as something God ordained with a purpose and a passion that he's put in you, then you're looking at this life not to survive, you're looking at this as an adventure to live and when God has given you this life to be a part of this grand adventure, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ where it needs to be, to advance the kingdom of God, to do things, to reach people that are destined for hell without your intervention, then listen to me. You are living a life of passion and purpose, and it is an adventure. And you're not just trying to survive. You're not trying to tread water. You're trying be on mission. This, this, this is a difference that we have to get a hold of. And, and I think if we really understood eternity well, if we really had a grasp for what eternity is, and for what eternity is going to be like, as followers of Christ, then we'd see this life as an adventure. Not something to survive, something to pour ourselves out for the sake of the gospel. I want to challenge you this morning, if the idea of change I'm not talking about change just so we can say we did something different. I'm talking about change that's invested for the purpose of helping people grow and helping people connect to the God of the universe, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to change destinies, to change eternities. If that kind of change scares you and slows you down, my challenge to you is you need to take a look at what you view this life to be about and what you think eternity is going to be like. I promise you, this life is more than something to be survived. Okay? We're going to keep going here. Jump in. I'm, I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 9. I'm going to read to you about three or four verses. Uh, but I just—you've got the first one on the screen there. But, but here's what it is. This is Paul. Paul is talking now to the church in Corinth. Um, and he's talking about who he is and how he understands his mission. And, and I'm going to tell you this. Um, there is no greater model in the New Testament— for someone that is running to keep up with Jesus than Paul. Paul is walking on the road to Damascus, and he is... Um, a staunch Pharisee. He is a Jew. And he is convinced that Jesus Christ was an imposter. He is convinced that Jesus Christ is dead and buried. And that these so-called Christians are lying about the resurrection. He's convinced that it's blasphemy. And that if they continue to teach it, they're going to hell. Paul is convinced about Christianity when he's on the road to Damascus. The way we are convinced about Islam. I mean, understand. That's where Paul is. Paul hates Christianity the way that we hate Islam, not the way that uh, we shouldn't hate any individual, but a false religion that will tell people they're good when really damning them to hell is something that we should hate. That's what Paul hates. He doesn't want to see Christianity spread because he thinks if people start worshiping Jesus that they're going to end up being led away from the truth and they're going to go to hell because they won't be worshipping the one true Yahweh God of the universe. And so Paul is on the way to Damascus to pull Christians out of their homes, take them to court, have them tried, and executed if they won't recant their faith. Why? Because he doesn't want their message to spread. That's where Paul's at. Paul is walking down the road. He's with his companions. He's, he's ready to go persecute the church because he doesn't want their message to spread because he thinks it's evil. And then all of a sudden, he has this interaction with Jesus Christ. The resurrected Jesus meets him on the road, blinds him, speaks to him. Paul, Paul, actually, Saul at that point, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And they have this interchange where all of a sudden, Saul realizes that, you know what? I was wrong. That everything I thought I knew about God was wrong. That I thought I understood who this Jesus was. I thought I understood what he was about. I thought I knew, but it was wrong. And I thought I knew how to be right with God. I thought it was by following all of these rules and and being hyper religious and doing all of these things and all of these traditions that they've always taught me that I've always done. That's what I thought would get me right with God. But turns out, guess what? I was wrong. So Paul's on the road, and Jesus gets a hold of him, and he says, Look, man, you are wrong. You're doing it wrong. And from that moment on, Paul sets his, his mind, he sets his will, steals his reserve, and here's what he does. He runs to keep up with Jesus. If there was ever a model for us about what it means to run to follow Jesus, it's the Apostle Paul. And so here's what our model says. In 1 Corinthians 9, we're going to start in verse 19. We're going to go through 23. It says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to that law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ, but I do not ignore the law of God. I always obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, get this. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. This is our model for running to keep up with Jesus, who says, I do everything I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I could save some. Listen to me. You want to know what it means to run to keep up with Jesus? That's it. That as a church, we will do all things possible, all things that God allows so that we might possibly save some. That we will be all things to all people. So that by all possible ways, we might save some from hell. Because hell is real. And people in this community, a lot more than we would like to imagine, people that we know and love and care about, are destined to be there. So let's break this down, what Paul's really saying, what it means to run, to keep up with Jesus. He starts with this statement, Even though I'm a free man with no master, so Paul starts with this grand um, understanding. I was on the road to Damascus. I'm a staunch Jew. You know how many laws the Jews followed? Um, the, the good ones, anyway? That's the good ones. The devout ones? Uh, 613. 613 Mosaic laws. There were 613 laws in the five books of law that Moses uh, was given by God to share with Israel that this is what they're supposed to do. 613 laws that Paul religiously followed. On top of that, because he was a Pharisee, he followed the Mishnah, which, which means that they made a whole bunch of other laws that were intended to help them keep the 613 laws. And then eventually over time, all of the other laws that they created were for them just as important. Right? Um, For example, I'm gonna help you understand this. How many of you seen Footloose? There was a remake. I never saw it, but how many of you saw the original Footloose? You know, you got to cut loose. Footloose. Okay, here's the deal. You know that that really religious town with John Lithgow? No dancing. Do you remember in the movie why there was the no dancing law? It wasn't because they hated fun. There was a no dancing law because dancing in their minds, when you danced, it automatically lent itself to doing other sinful things, like drinking, or having premarital sex. Right? So, so John Lithgow, pastor in the town, would say, well, we, we, we outlawed dancing, because when we outlaw dancing, we build a fence around sex and drinking. And if you can't even get through the fence, you can never get to the sex and drinking. Of course, we know that's foolish, Right? But that was the premise of the no dancing rule. Well, that's what the Pharisees did. They would say, well, you're not supposed to look lustfully at a woman, so here's what you do. When you see a woman, you cross the street, and you don't even walk next to her. You're supposed to give God thanks for everything, so before you eat, you have to ceremonially wash your hands to make sure that you're clean. God never said that, but they put that in there because it was a fence. Well, if I do that, I'll never forget. But of course they forgot, But, but that's not the point. The point is 613 laws Paul followed. And then all of the Mishnah he followed. So Paul is a religious fanatic at this point. But now, because he's had this grand experience with Christ, he says, but now I'm a free man. Paul very clearly here is talking about his his freedom that's in Christ. He's free from religious expectation. He's free from the expectations that other people would put on him. He says, I have no expectations put on me except for Christ. He's knowing this. He's like, man, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, if you're truly my disciples, then you'll remain faithful to my teachings, and you'll know truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus' teachings set Paul free. Not the religious law, not all of the tradition of his people, not all of the boundaries that were put in place. What set Paul free was Christ, and he knows it. And so he follows Christ, and he gets back to this, and he says, look, Oh, man, I got too many slides. He says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I, I'm free, I have no master. He knows it. He is not under any religious expectation. You are not under religious expectation. Now, you're under the law of Christ. Being free with no master does not mean you get to do whatever you please. There's a difference between religious tradition and expectation and the law of Christ, biblical expectation. There's a difference between the two. But Paul says, I'm a free man with no master. But what does he do with that freedom? Here's what he says, I have become a slave to all people. I want you to wrap your mind around that. 613 laws, plus more than that, more than 613 additional laws that were supposed to build a fence. And Paul says, I have followed these 1,200 plus laws All my life and I've counted on them to make me right with the God of the universe now. I know that those were garbage Those were garbage They did nothing for me You know what does something for me having a relationship with the God of the universe through the person of Jesus Christ? That's what saves me. I have this newfound freedom. I'm a free man with no master So what do I do? I put myself back in bondage I become a slave to all people. The word there for slave is is to be in bondage. In this context, here's what I want you to think of. Think of it as like one of those cheesy scenes in a movie. You know those cheesy scenes where, like, the hero saves somebody's life? And then that person's like, oh, now I owe you a life debt. I'm going to follow you around and be your servant all the time and, and do whatever I can until I repay it. You know those movies, right? It's a life debt. First time I ever saw that in a movie was, was Robin Hood, right? Kevin Costner saves Morgan Freeman and then tries to escape back to his homeland in England, and, and uh, Morgan Freeman goes with him because, oh, I owe you a life debt. So then he becomes his sidekick for the whole movie. That's what this is. Paul says, I'm free. I don't have a master. So guess what I did with my freedom in Christ? I made myself a servant. I owe a life debt to everybody God brings in my path. Everybody God puts me in contact with, I owe them a life debt. Except it's not physical life. It's spiritual life. And Paul's not just speaking here um, boldly to prove a point. Paul is telling you what's true, so listen to me. Oh my goodness, this is going to sting a little bit. You're not going to like it. I don't like it. It is what it is, though. It's in here. You, right, need to have this same attitude. It's the attitude of Christ. We're told we have to have the mind of Christ. What did Christ do, right? He took on a life debt for us. Paul says, in that vein, I have the mind of Christ. I have the attitude of Christ, so here's what I do. I'm free. I have no master. But anybody that God brings in my path, I make myself a servant to them. I make it all about them. Why? Well, keep going. To bring many to Christ. For the sake of the gospel. Paul says, I'm free. And in my freedom, here's what I choose to do. I choose to make myself lower than everybody else. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my race car comfort. It's not about any of that. I make myself low. Why do I make myself low? Because I want to bring many to Christ. Let's say it one more time, because hell is real, and because people you know are going there. And so he says, I get myself low, so that I can bring many to Christ. Paul understands something here. He understands the mission. Paul gets this. Paul understands what's happening. What Paul doesn't do is say, but I've got rights. Right? Paul doesn't say, I feel like it should be this way. Paul doesn't say, I— I kind of like it better when it, when it happens this way other than that way. Paul doesn't say, but I want it to be here instead of here. Paul says, you know what? Whatever it takes, I'm going to make myself a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. What Paul basically is saying there is that he's discovered a truth through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the God of the universe, and here's what it is. It's not about him. Paul no longer lives for himself. You want to know what it means to die daily to yourself? This is what it means. It means that it's not about you or what you think you need or want or anything like that. What it's about is about the mission that God has put in front of you. The mission are people. We talk mission like it's this grand thing, like the mission of the church matters. The mission of the church. The mission of the church. Bring a hurting world to hope of Jesus. But here's what it is. The mission is ultimately, boil it down, it's about people that you know. People that we live with. People that we work with. People that we barbecue with. People that we see every day that are destined for an eternity in hell, and Paul says, no, 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 that's not acceptable to me. It's not acceptable to me. So, even though I'm a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Because here's the mission just as a reminder 2 Corinthians 5 19 and 20. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. What's the wonderful message? It's this. That God is in heaven, no longer counting people's sins against them. That through the cross of Jesus Christ, you can be made new. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, and we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's your mission. Paul says, for the sake of that mission, for the sake of that mission... Even though I'm a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people. I become a bond servant. I become—I I, 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 I do a life pledge. Why? Because this is the mission, and I want to save a few. And Paul says very clearly, and it ain't about me. And it's that attitude that allows us to embrace change for the sake of the mission. It's that attitude that allows us to reach people that are different from us. It's that attitude that allows us to risk. It's that attitude that makes us valuable to the kingdom. Let's get back to 1 Corinthians 9. So, so then we move on to 20, and, and Paul's going to tell us exactly what he meant. When he says he's going to be a slave to all, he's going to lay it out for us what that looks like for him. He's like, so when, I was, when I'm with the Jews, guess what I do? I live like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ when I'm with those these are the same people with the Jews who follow the Jewish law He's clarifying here when I'm with the Jews. I act like a Jew. Why because I want to save some right? So so what that means is when I'm with those who follow the Jewish law. I too lived under the law even though I'm not subject to the law I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. I want you to wrap your head around that this is Paul saying, I used to walk this road It's the thing that compelled him to walk to Damascus to persecute Jews I followed 613 Mosaic laws I thought for sure that if I followed them meticulously I would be okay with God So I did follow them By the way, you, read through the books of law To follow those laws meticulously You're all failing right now You're failing right now you, you, I, I mean, you just are Right, you're 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 wearing blended cotton fabrics or, or blended fabric clothes. You're um, you didn't ceremonially cleanse yourself before you came in. You haven't sacrificed a bull in forever, right? I don't. Maybe some of you farmers do that. I don't know, but most of you haven't sacrificed a bull in forever. Um, I mean, you're just you're, you're you're failing at that. It's not easy to follow the law. But Paul says, "I was meticulously following the 613 and, uh, Mosaic laws, and because as a Pharisee, I was doing even more, right? And then in Christ, I'm free. I can eat bacon. Think about that. Paul went from having to avoid pork because it was unclean to all of a sudden bacon. Who loves it? Right? But when Paul's with the Jews, guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't order his extra side of bacon. Why? Because when he's with the Jews, even though he's not under the law, guess what he does? He acts like he is. Why? Because he doesn't want anything to come between him, them, and the cross. Right? He's, he's trying not to be a stumbling block to them. They're like, they need to get to the cross. They're going to have to deal with Jesus. Paul doesn't want to trip them up on himself. So he's like, so when I'm with them, I, I, I don't do things to cause problems between us. I remove every obstacle I can so that all they have to do is deal with the message of Jesus that I'm giving them. So Paul says... I become all things to all people. So when I'm with the Jews, I'm not—now, when he's with the Jews, he says, I'm not trusting the Jewish law to save me. It's Christ that saves me. But because I want people to know about Christ I'm telling them, I'm going to remove every obstacle that exists. Every single obstacle that exists. And I'm just going to give it to them straight. And that's what he does. But you know what's weird? This is—if you want to see what this means—I I mean, this isn't just lip service. Paul's not just saying, oh, I'll, I'll act a little Jewish when, when I'm around Jewish people. No, no, no. Here's what he's saying. Let's track this. Acts 15. There's a movement, right? Um, <laughs> there's a movement in Syria, at Antioch, where, where some, some people— um, are coming into the new Christians. Gentile Christians means they're not Jews and they converted. People come into the Christians and say, hey, by the way, you're not really saved. Jesus isn't really in you. You aren't really a Christian. And they're like, well, why am I? I we did everything Paul said. Paul said, Barnabas said, hey, all you got to do all you got to do it's a tall order but it's a simple thing to understand all we have to do is confess our sinfulness give our lives over to Jesus and try to live in a way that pleases him and these people came and said yeah that's good but first before you can be a christian you got to be jewish so with dead seriousness they were like so so you can't really trust christ for your salvation until you become a jew so what they started teaching was you got to be circumcised as required by the law of moses Right, if you're not circumcised, because circumcision was the sign of the Jewish community. So, unless you're circumcised, unless you're Jewish, you can't really be a Christian. And Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. So, this is Paul saying, absolutely not. You do not have to be circumcised to be a Christian. You do not have to become Jewish first, then be a Christian. You just have to choose to follow Christ. This is Paul vehemently arguing, but then check this out. This is the next chapter of Scripture. So, oh man, David, you're right. We need a new clicker. There it is Acts 16. So, Paul wants to take Timothy with him on a missionary journey. Timothy is not a Jew. Well, guess where Paul's gonna go minister to? He's gonna go minister to Jews. Right? So here's what he does. He just says, you do not need to be Jewish to be a Christian. But, because I'm trying to be all things to all people so that I could save a few, he tells Timothy, Hey, Timothy, you need to get circumcised before we leave. Because everybody knows you're a Greek, and we don't want the fact that you're a Gentile, and not Jewish, to get in the way of our telling people about Jesus. So track that. Paul vehemently argues you do not need to follow the Jewish law. But because we're going to minister to Jews, guess what? Timothy, you've got to be circumcised. I can hear Timothy. Like, "Uh, I don't feel like that's true. I'm not sure I want to do it that way. I shouldn't have to do it that way. And you know what? We don't read any of that, though. This is a matter-of-fact statement. Timothy complies, they go on mission, they save more Jews. Because it's not about Timothy any more than it was about Paul. Any more than it's about me, any more than it's about you. Because when you're running to keep up with Jesus, if Jesus says, hey, get circumcised, you're like, all right, where do I sign up? (laughs) Come on. I know, I know it's weird. It's what it is, though. Paul says to Timothy, look, we're we're on mission. We're going to talk to Jews. Do you really want the fact that you don't follow the Jewish law to stop people from becoming Christians and going to heaven and avoiding hell. Do you really want that to happen? Do you really want to be looking at the God of the universe and saying, yeah, I could have worked hard to save that person, but I didn't want to. It wasn't comfortable for me. It wasn't what I was used to. It's not what I prefer. No, man, Timothy just went, and he got circumcised, and they went on mission. And we keep going. Paul said, oh, well... Here, understand this. Following that example, here's what I want you to know about the gospel. You will never change the gospel. Paul never changed the gospel. Paul preached the gospel with effectiveness, the greatest evangelism in biblical history. Spread um, the message of Christ throughout the known world at the time. Paul never compromised the gospel. If we follow Paul's example, we will never change the gospel. But church, listen to me. If you are running to keep up with Jesus, then this is true. You will always be willing for you to change so that the gospel can be clearly heard. That's why here at at Blessed Hope Community Church, we do the things that we do. I, I mean, I, I hope you understand that everything we do is strategic. From the music we use, to the flow and order of service, to our children's programming, to our, our the sermons that we preach, to the way that, that we dress on stage, to the... The fact that we're moving to two services, the fact that we do faith in action, the fact that we did Christmas Eve now for a couple years over at Tilford instead of here in our own building. Everything we do is strategic for this reason, because we are never going to compromise the gospel. But what we are going to do is we are going to change so that the gospel can be clearly heard through what we do. Because it's not about us. Because we are just running to keep up with Jesus. And I can tell you where Jesus is going. Jesus is going to spread the gospel where it needs to be. So that's it. This is what we do. Right? This is where we go. It's why we use the Revolution Building. It's why we, we leverage that building as a bridge to the community. So as people come there and they meet Christians, they meet people from the church, and, the, and they start to hear about our heart, and they see our heart, and, and we build bridges to the gospel. And by the way, That's happening. That's happening. That's working. It's why we do those things, because we are just running to keep up with Jesus, and it's not about us. And the gospel will never change, but we will change. As individuals, I hope, but I can promise you as a church, we will change so that the gospel can be clearly heard through us. That's in the DNA of the church. Keep going. When I'm with the Gentiles, so he just talked about the Jews, but it's not just that. You know, Paul's comfortable being a Jew. He was a Jew all his life. But he says, it's not just where I'm comfortable, but it's even where I'm uncomfortable. When I'm with the Gentiles who don't follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law, so I can bring them to Christ. He's like, I always obey the law of Christ, but when I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness because I want to bring the weak to Christ. You see, the theme here for Paul, it's always about people getting to Christ. He's like, I will do whatever it takes to get people to Christ. This, by the way, church, this is where we live, this one. You know, Paul's like, his mission field was bright. Nobody knew Christ, right? It was Jews who thought they were good with God who didn't know Jesus, or it was Gentiles who didn't even care about God that needed to know Jesus. Everybody needed to know Jesus. Though when we think about the way we do, church, this is the one that we live in, right? Because a lot of churches, what they will do is they will focus on transfer growth. And here's what they will think. If we do church better than other churches, the people that go to church there will come to our place. And so a lot of churches, when they have growth and when they have these things, what happens is they're not really growing the kingdom. They're just growing their church because what they're doing is they're trying to pluck people from other churches. Like, well, if we do it better than they do, Then they'll come to us instead. And and you know what? We're not going to be mad at people that show up here, right? Of course not. But that's not what we're striving to do. When we take the gospel to places it's not, what we're striving to do is bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that aren't connected here or anywhere. To the Gentiles who don't follow God at all. That's why we've, by and large, listen to me, that's why we've, by and large, moved away from tradition. Because the people that really typically thrive on tradition are people that are already following Jesus. It's not because we hate tradition. Listen to me. Sometimes you guys think, well, it's, it's, it's fine and good for Matt to say that we have to embrace change for the sake of the mission when it always works out the way he wants it. Right? You're like, okay, well, that's easy for Matt to say because we end up doing what he wants to do. Man, I, I don't think you understood. If I were in a church and there were no people to reach, it was just about me and worshiping God, this isn't what my church would look like. If I were were drawing it up myself, this is not what it would look like. It would be a lot more traditional than this. But that's not why I'm here. That's not why you're here. It's not what we're doing. Because guess what? It's not about Matt. Matt likes liturgy. You probably think Matt hates liturgy because we don't do liturgy. Matt likes liturgy. Why am I talking about myself that way? <laughs> that's weird. Why are you letting me do that? Why are you letting Matt do that? I like liturgy, but we don't do it. Why? Because it's not effective to reach people that have no faith grounding. And that's not me. I mean, that, it's just—it's it's not. So what we do is we, we meet people where they're at. We don't change the gospel. The gospel is precious but we change the way we do things so that people can clearly hear the gospel through us. That's how we do it. That's how Paul did it. Clearly, that's how Paul did it. Here's how he ends. He says, so I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. The NIV says it this way, I become all things to all people. Why? So that I might save some. so that I can share in the blessings of the good news of the gospel. Listen to me. Let me ask the praise team to come up. I want to challenge you this morning to do one of two things, or both. No matter where you are, I want to encourage you to engage the mission, to commit yourself to running to keep up with Jesus, for the sake of those that are lost. I want everybody that's here. Listen, I can't control you. I can't control your heart. I can't control what you think and do. But I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you to consider what would it look like for you to say, okay, fine, I understand that it's not about me. I get that it's not about me. I get that I'm running to keep up with Jesus. And that is all about becoming bond servants to people that need to be rescued from hell. That it is about, it is about reaching them doing all things, being all things to all people so that by some means I might save a few. I want to encourage you to commit to that in your heart. Tell God, you know what, God, personally, in my life, and for the sake of the church, this is what I'm doing. I want to encourage you to commit to that. But here's the other thing that some of you might need to do, myself included. Some of you might need to repent this morning. might need to repent for far too often making it about us and insisting on what we want and insisting on what we need instead of um, tolerating or even embracing or better yet even championing the work of the gospel. So I need everybody to commit, but I want to encourage you, some of us might need to repent first And if that's the case, then there's no better time than now, right? Let me pray with us, and we'll close the service. Heavenly Father, God, you are good and gracious. We just love you, and we praise you. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for the things that you've done. God, you continue to pour blessings on us as a body. Father, as we, as Blessed Hope Community Church, commit to running to keep after you, I pray that you'll remind us that that we are not in the business of status quo. That we are in the business of following wherever you go. And when we follow where you lead, that you will take us to uncomfortable places. But that going to uncomfortable places is fine as long as you're in front of us. Father, we pray that you will continue to prompt our hearts. And if there is um, repentance that needs to happen for our attitudes, for my attitudes that haven't been fully engaged in the mission, for my attitude that's resisted following you, Father, I pray that you'll bring that to mind and you'll help me deal with that this morning so that I can be completely sold out with you. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.